Well, hey everybody, this is Greg here uh, with GHC Interactive. We are live for another episode of the Aviation Growth Podcast. Uh, joining me today is Jay Gallagher from the Aviation Search Group. Jay, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, a little cold here in Pennsylvania. We're actually working from home because we got snowed in, but other than that, good. How about yourself? <laughs> Uh, not too bad. You know, as you know, we're, uh, we're down in Florida. We had a cold front come through. It was like 46 degrees this morning. So mm -hmm. it's our, this is our chilly season. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned, we had a, we had a few tornadoes that came through, uh, over the weekend, but, um, uh, for the most part, didn't do, didn't do too much, too much That's damage. Good. But, um, how many inches did you get up there? Uh, we're looking at about 16 inches outside of my house oh, right geez. now and, uh, yeah. <laughs> in some spots a couple feet because we live on top of a big hill and the snowdrift just loves to come into my yard and driveway. Awesome. That sounds fun. I yeah. don't, um, <laughs> I don't really miss living up North anymore. No, point. I've, uh, I've grown past it. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm glad to have you on. Absolutely. Um, why don't we get started with maybe just kind of a quick intro, Maybe you could um, tell us a little bit about Aviation Search Group, like what you guys do, what you focus on, and then maybe a little bit of a background on yourself. Okay, absolutely. Um, my name is Jay Gallagher, as you mentioned earlier. I'm the managing director of Aviation Search Group, and what we do there is we're an executive level search firm. And by that, I mean, we work on a retained basis as a recruiting firm for our clients. We focus on aviation exclusive jobs, uh, director level and above. Okay. We, we will work uh, with pilots and mechanics as well, but our specialty is, you know, your directors, presidents, VPs, um, C-suite positions, things along those lines. And on a retained basis, we partner with our clients. Our client list is a little smaller than what you might see with your large scale recruiting firms, but that's by design because we partner with our clients as a total outsource on their hiring and we work jobs start to finish and we kind of view ourselves as a part of your company. Okay, cool. And how, uh, well first, how, how long has Aviation Search Group been around for? <clears throat> uh, as a company, we've been around a little over 20 years. Um, we have two owners that started the company together. Um, they both come from aviation. One was a president of a, um, a helicopter MRO and sales facility on the West Coast, and um, okay. that's where he met the other owner, and they just kind of came up with the idea because they saw a need for it in the uh, in the market, and they moved to Texas to start it from there, and that's where our corporate headquarters are, and the one owner moved up here to the operational headquarters because this is where he's from outside of Pittsburgh. So okay, gotcha. And so how um, how long have you been at ASG, and and how how did that how, how did you get involved in the business? I'm a relatively new hire, actually, at ASG. Okay. I started this past September in 2021. Okay. Uh, before that, I was an A&P mechanic. Uh, I worked as a maintenance manager at a, a 145 repair station, um, corporate jets primarily, you know, hawkers, citations, things along those lines. Sure. Um, I met the owner of our company at our local field. He uh, owns a Piper Cub, and uh, we became acquainted because he had asked me to do some sheet metal work on his airplane. Um, that's okay. my specialty. And, <laughs> If we, it's kind of a funny story how um, it, one thing led to another. I've always been very proud of how good I am at sheet metal and like how particular I am. And he has a nice, beautiful airplane, and it was the biggest mistake I've ever made on an airplane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I put an access uh -oh. cut and cut an access panel out for his airplane, put it in. It looked perfect, but it was a big Piper Cub with uh, the giant oversized tires, and nothing's level in that airplane. I put the panel in crooked. 
and it just looked terrible to me and he's a perfectionist like i am so he immediately you know snap of a finger noticed it yeah and i thought oh man this guy's you know a big shaker in the aviation industry my career is <laughs> over and then um one thing led to another but he liked my work ethic and my background from there um so that's kind of what led me to working for him okay and did you fish did you fix the sheet metal problem <laughs> I did as best okay. as I could. I actually had to call in the big guns. I had to call my dad in to help. Okay. Because <laughs> he's, a, he's a, a metal worker and he's a master at it. So I was able to have him come in and help a little. Gotcha. And so, you know, coming from, you know, you have a, a maintenance background and now you join uh, this organization. You know, how has that transition been? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that that's a, a typical kind of like career progression from what mm -hmm. I've seen. So how did that come about and, and how's that going for you? It's definitely a different transition going from a maintenance floor to an office environment every day. But I've always had the career goals to be a business leader, a uh, executive, uh, like a, a senior vice president role, C-suite eventually. So when sure. I got out of the Air Force, I... Uh, I used my GI Bill to go to school and I'd been going um, to school at night and online the entire time since I've been out and working as an A&P and it's been pretty grueling the last four or five years but one thing led to another to get me to this point and um, that was always my goal was to change the narrative on my career past being just a mechanic gotcha. in the maintenance world. Gotcha. And so, um, yeah, how's, how's business going for you guys? Very good. I'm sure as all of your listeners are aware, there are not enough uh, workers in sure. the world in general, and especially aviation. So we're getting a lot of business because a lot of our clients are having a difficult time hiring and finding, you know, good talent. Sure. And so what, you know, I guess it, it seems like everybody is hiring and there's definitely a shortage from whether it's you know, mechanics to pilots to sales leaders to directors of aviation. So, I mean, would you say that's kind of the biggest obstacle that um, your the companies that you're working with are dealing with? Like, what what are, what are you running into? Especially now, over the last two years, it seems like you know things have obviously changed. What mm -hmm. what are you finding the biggest obstacles are in in getting new people into organizations? One of the biggest problems is, um, or difficulties is if someone wants a job, they already have one, to be quite honest. Right. So typically, the talent that you're looking for already is employed and doesn't realize that they're looking for a new job. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge part. Top down, I mean, there's companies that are struggling to find C-suite executives, um, vice presidents, all the way down to line service representatives at your local airport. So that's typically where the biggest challenge is, is finding that, you know, top level talent right now, because, you know, talent isn't looking for a job per se. Sure. And would you say that the, the companies that are searching for candidates are having to maybe change up their approach or change certain things at their company to attract people? Because you're coming, you know, you know, trying to entice people to leave a current position to move, um, what what's that like right um kind of to backtrack a little just yeah posting a job online now is really not working for companies anymore because mm -hmm. you have to be aggressive with your hiring and that's right. what we recommend to our clients that aren't retaining us for certain positions as well even for staffing level positions to get aggressive um to offer relocation packages make try to be in an attractive area or a lot over the last two years with the pandemic, if you have the ability, allow someone to work from home a little bit and remote base, um, make your positions more attractive um, 
as we're seeing like generationally. Um, oop, I think I lost you. Sure. Are you there? Yes. Sorry, your camera went out. Okay. No. No, no okay, worries. Okay, I can keep going. I guess we can edit this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But as I was saying, um, with a lot of uh, what we're seeing today, candidates um, are looking for that attractive package, and they're looking for fulfillment in their their work. So, you know, you need to offer more than just a uh, a high level financial compensation package, for example. Gotcha. And, you know, regarding the, the compensation, are you seeing that salaries and, you know, total compensation packages in this industry are starting to move up? That's definitely what we're seeing. Um, salaries and compensation is getting very competitive company to company is what we're, lo we're realizing. And um, people mm -hmm. aren't willing to settle anymore because, uh, if you're willing to move in this industry, quite frankly, you don't have to settle. And I think people are starting to realize that. And um, for a long time, I'm sure as you're well aware, there's been a few certain sectors of our industry that were a little, um, I wouldn't say underpaid, but they, they haven't risen sure. with the rest of, uh, I guess, the global economy for salaries, for example. Um, I, I know the maintenance world because that's where I come from. Specifically, yeah. a lot of those salaries have just been kind of left behind a little and they're seeing major growth right now. That that's good to hear, um, mm -hmm. just because, you know, if, I've seen a lot of people actually not only you know move to different roles within the industry, but potentially leave the industry right. for opportunities um, for you know engineering type roles in other industries where you know there's a lot of other industries that are booming at the same time and they've been able to really bring that number up and so um it's good to hear that we're starting to see some increases in the the compensation for some of these different roles throughout the throughout the industry oh definitely in a lot a few years before the salaries started rising that's definitely something they saw was individuals leaving to other industries because um at the end of the day, you have to feed your family and put bread on the table. And that's why we all go to work. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so are there particular roles that um, you're you're finding like the most demand for right now? I would say the most demand we see is in your operational level roles, um, starting with, um, I would say every single FBO in the country, if you ask them today, they cannot find line service uh, technicians. Mm. But then above that, um, we as well, mechanics, um, pilots, your operational type people, it's just there is not enough uh, workers in the industry. And um, as we know, the retirement age for 121 pilots is at 65 and there's that mass retirement coming up and there's sure. not as many people entering the industry as there are leaving. And that mm -hmm. goes the same with mechanics that the average age of an um, A&P technician right now is I think 55 or 56 years old. Yeah. Which means in 10 years, that group of people is retiring. Mm -hmm. If they're not already, ha ha has there been, you know, I know, especially, you know, 2020, um, on the commercial side of aviation, you know, things really slowed down while things were still moving pretty good on the business aviation side of things. How did that impact the workforce? Did you guys see people moving from the commercial side into different, uh, segments of the industry? Yes, actually, there was quite an influx, um, for example, of pilots, you know, that were getting those layoffs and stuff and needed yeah. to remain current that came back to business aviation. And a lot of them have stayed, too, which has been very nice for the business aviation sector to get some talent that they may have lost 
uh, 20 years ago, for example, or 10 years ago. Sure. And a lot of those people have started coming back to, you know, your part 135 world or your cargo world. Sure. And so, um, you know, looking at, um, I guess, and the, the other question I had for you too, I guess was around really like the, um, geographic locations. Are there particular areas that you're starting to see maybe a boom and, and a demand for people? Um, whether it's at, you know, particular airports or just particular regions. Absolutely. I would, the West coast definitely is a booming area in particular the state of California. We're seeing a lot of positions come available there. Um, due to a couple reasons, one, there's an influx of people, um, as you're aware, leaving California and that includes a lot of aviation sure. people. So there's been a lot of salary increases, compensation increases to bring people back to California and, um, your standard Florida and the Dallas Fort Worth area are major aviation growth areas, especially that Dallas Fort Worth area. There's a lot of major companies there, but um, something people might not be aware of is one of the largest growing areas in the country is uh, a little town named Fairmont, West Virginia. It's uh, one of the greatest growing areas for especially maintenance personnel, um, aircraft engineers, aeronautical engineers, things along those lines. And it's projected to grow for the next 10 years. They uh, are continuing to invest in that airport, invest in bringing people into their area. And, um, and that's about an hour south of where our offices are. And um, my wife and I fly okay. down there quite frequently for uh, lunch. And every time we go there, it seems like there's another hangar up for construction and a, another subdivision being put in. Sure. And um, I guess for, you know, because there's all this demand right now, and um, I guess for, for companies that have historically done they're recruiting internally. Maybe they have a, a head of HR or maybe they've just been doing it, you know, the director of aviation does it or, you know, maybe an executive at the at the company does it. I guess what are what are the differences and kind of what are what are you guys bringing to the table in regards to finding people and, and getting them placed? Well, <clears throat> a couple things. To uh, backtrack to that one individual doing the hiring, for example, um, something we like to tell people is the cost of a bad hire completely outweighs any sort of recruiting service uh, fee that you might have to play, pay or even not having that position for a little while while you really wait for that uh, correct talent. Um, for example, we were kind of doing some math in the office last week. Um, if someone were to make a $100,000 salary and their direct official was a, at one fifty a year, and it took, um, say, three months to fill that role and three months to train that person up, you're looking at over $50,000 uh, of a loss right. if that individual doesn't work out and then you still have to start the process over. Sure. So that's definitely a driving factor towards potentially outsourcing your recruiting and hiring efforts, especially for those high-level roles with high-level compensation. Um, kind of what we offer and bring to the table is um, we're able to reach the entire industry. We have... Um, we mass market positions. We have an internal database that's obviously been being built for over 20 years yeah. and it's extremely robust. And I don't think there's many other companies globally that would have as many people as um, we do. I know there's a few other companies that are similar in size that probably do, but there's that. And then targeting key companies that have the individuals you're looking for and finding someone that could come in and be a cultural fit. Sure. And so I guess from the 
from the candidate side of things, um, you know, for, for people that I know there's a lot of people in this industry that have been in a particular role for quite some time, right? There's a lot of people that have been within roles for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And I think that in a lot of the people that I'm talking to, they're starting to think about, wow, I see all of this activity. I see that there's some opportunities out there. What are you like, you know, what, what are you talking with candidates about? And what would you, I guess, recommend for people that maybe have been comfortable in a role for, for some time, um, but are maybe starting to, you know, starting to explore some of the, the opportunities out there? Yes, uh, a lot of those candidates, um, we focus on telling them, look at the growth opportunities that are out there for you right now that you didn't realize were there or haven't honestly been paying attention to for 10 to 15 years. Um, like you said, those really right. long-term people. Um, and uh, another thing is we always, rec- I, I personally recommend, don't be afraid to change the narrative on your career. Um, a lot of times people get stuck in these roles so long that that's the only thing they think of themselves as and people view them as is um myself for example i was concerned that everyone would always just think of me as a good mechanic and that's it and Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with being that it's it's something to be proud of but sure i I wanted something different professionally for myself and even when i left a co-worker said why would you quit this job you're such a good mechanic and that was kind of my fear and what i recommend to people is don't be afraid to change that narrative and step a little outside of your comfort zone because that helps you grow professionally and you could have more than one asset to yourself. Sure. Yeah. I see, you know, I I see a lot of people that have a lot of really good skills and they kind of, um, maybe are looking at their career path in a very linear fashion where it's like, you know, you maybe have mechanic and in your case, maybe, you know, mechanic, lead mechanic, you know, senior mechanic, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, crew chief, and then director of maintenance. And I think a lot of people, not that, you know, obviously these are great positions and and great roles and I think great opportunities uh, along with great compensation. Um, but not everybody is happy in, in those particular, uh, you know, going down that linear fashion and taking the skills that you have built up and that knowledge, I think you can easily take that, move into a different type of role, whether it's, you know, a different part of the operation or a different segment of the industry. Obviously there's a lot of learning that, that goes into that, but, all that stuff that you've accumulated in your career so far is really valuable and, right. and could really make a big impact wherever you bring it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, you, like you said at best, your director of maintenance people, some people might view that as the, um, you know, the highest level you might be able to go in aviation, but, um, your small 145 uh, repair stations, those director of maintenances, they, they manage a P and L they do, you know, all the hiring and firing of their shop. They do the sales of their services. Those are all great skills that could definitely transition into immediate business leaders. Sure. um, Sure. Throughout the industry. They learn how to talk to um, high net worth individuals, things along those lines. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, obviously there's, um, there's a shortage that everybody is talking about, you know, from mechanics to pilots to line at, at FBOs. I guess, how are you guys approaching 
bringing people into this industry? And are you placing people that are coming from outside in industries? We are. We actually do focus a lot on outside industry. Um, we have okay. a lot of um, sales director roles, for example, and quite frankly, a, a good salesman, like as my dad always said, uh, <laughs> could sure. sell anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we focus on, you know, a lot of uh, companies have uh, jet cards, for example. So we focus on bringing people in that might have sold other type of high level membership programs to other other companies. Um, you know, yacht sales, for example, people that sell shares of using a yacht, that individual would understand that club membership, the um, right. timeshare, and they could easily transition into uh, aviation sales, for example. Sure. And so, and the other thing, you know, we, we had talked about was, I know that you were in the air force, uh, that's where you started your career and, and moved into the, the civil side of aviation. I know that you've started working with veterans. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, your, your approach there and, and what you're doing? Yes, absolutely. It's, um, very small scale kind of grassroots. Um, I link myself with veterans that uh, are transitioning out of the air force or even have been out for a while. Um, most recently, I was uh, working with someone that's been out for probably about eight years and has uh, okay. had his A&P license, and he's just struggled to find stable employment in the next steps. And a lot of that is, though the military has done a good job with trying to help with that transition, um, they just really aren't accustomed to civilian life and finding jobs. So I tell people how to write their own resumes. I don't like to do things for individuals because I like them to learn for themselves. So I'll, I'll help sure. them with resume assistance, um, kind of show them different avenues in the aviation world because um, myself, for example, in the Air Force, I learned so much just as a crew chief on the B-1 bomber. And quite frankly, if you tell people you worked on a, um, a bomber that doesn't really transition much into yeah. <laughs> you know, flying passengers around, but you still learn all the same equipment. You still learn management skills. Um, you still learn budgetary skills because I had to manage a budget with purchasing equipment and things along those lines still, even though the sure. government uses a little bit of a different budget process than your civilian company would because a profit's not a focus. Sure. But um, yeah, those individuals just need to know that um, they have a skill set that's extremely valuable and they just need to know how to word it professionally to someone to be able to find that long-term employment. So I reach out to people and I've a lot of it's word of mouth. People have been coming to me asking, hey, can you view my resume? Or, hey, I'm in um, you know, Nashville. What kind of work is out there? And I kind of link them to um, websites like JS Firm, for example, is a... Mm -hmm. I would say the number one website in aviation if you're looking for a job. If your information is not on JS Firm and you're looking for a job, that's the first mistake you made. Yeah, sure. And how about with LinkedIn? I know that, you know, the the LinkedIn community of aviation professionals seems to be growing pretty quickly, especially over the over the last few years. Um, and that's actually how, I think that's how we got connected as, mm -hmm. as well as on LinkedIn. Um, any recommendations for people in regards to, you know, either their LinkedIn profile or, you know, building their network or, um, you know, creating content to, to get, you know, get their kind of brand or image out there? Absolutely. Um, like you said, we were connected through LinkedIn from someone that I connected through LinkedIn with. Um, yeah. And they were on an episode with you previously, Jordan Scales. And like he said it best, um, at the end of this episode, create a LinkedIn if you don't have one. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> extremely important in today's world um, professionally to have a LinkedIn. Um, I'm on it every single day. What I would recommend to people is um, look at that part of the industry you want to be in. If you want to be um, in sales, for example, start adding those sales individuals and 
people are very outgoing and um, open to uh, questions on LinkedIn. Build that network. Ask people that have been in those roles, um, hey, how did you get here, for example? What, what should I do? And target those companies that you want to work for and add individuals from those companies. Really build sure. that network. Um, I try to put content up at least once a week about myself or with my company. I would recommend that as well, so just so people can see who you are. Don't be afraid to post stuff personally as well. Um, you know, maybe a picture with your dog, something like that, yeah. letting them know who you are as a person. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's something that's really cool that LinkedIn has brought to the industry is just bringing more of that kind of personal feel and, and getting to kind of see maybe a little bit more into the day to day. Um, and I think that that's also just social media in general has also helped in, I guess, attracting people to this industry as well. The amount of content, um, around, you know, business aviation or aviation in general that's available on YouTube or LinkedIn or Instagram has really, I think, opened people's eyes to, you know, what's available. And, um, mm -hmm. it's been somewhat uh, of a, I don't know, of a closed off industry, um, but maybe something that hasn't been front and center for a lot of maybe younger people looking to, um, you know, pursue a career in a particular industry. And um, so there's a lot of good stuff that I'm seeing out there lately um, that that I think is is enticing for people to, to join. Mm -hmm. A lot of what I've seen um, in the past is people don't know how to get into aviation, to be honest, if they don't know someone yeah. from aviation. And I was the same way. I um, I don't even think I've ever flown on an airplane until I joined the Air Force. Um, <laughs> quite frankly, never even thought about anything to do with aviation until I just uh, ended up in the Air Force one day. And people I've talked to in the past, um, I, I was a I'm pilot as well, and they always ask me, how do you get into flying? I thought you had to be a pilot in the military or have a parent that was an airline pilot. Those are the only ways they thought about it. And um, right. I think LinkedIn would really, really helps people connect with um, those possibilities to, you know, get into aviation and people don't realize that. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. well, cool. Um, you know, so kicking off 2022 here, I mean, anything, uh, any, you know, plans, projects, things that, that you guys are working on for this year? Yes, absolutely. Um, we are attending a few different conferences coming up here shortly. Uh, we'll be at HAI Heli Expo in, okay. um, in Dallas. And then right after that, we'll be at Women in Aviation um, in Nashville, all both in Great. March. Um, I'll be at both of those events. Um, if anybody's uh, listening and going to those events, please stop by our booth and come say hello and grab a couple free mints. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And, uh, and where can people find you in general? Um, you can find us on LinkedIn. Um, myself, everyone on my team is on LinkedIn. And then as well, um, aviationsearchgroup.com. And um, those are about the two best ways to contact us for sure. All right. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's been good to connect and uh, we'll stay in touch. And maybe I'll, I'll see you at HAI. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thank you. All right. We'll see you.